Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This edition of How to Be a CEO is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharmadine Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. ES Audio. We don't always get it right first time. I actually remember wanting to be a banker and that was my my thing. And at university, I did a summer internship at a bank and soon realised that I probably didn't have the same level of motivation as I thought I might do. This is an invitation to meet James McMaster, CEO of Huel, the plant-based meal replacement maker. a man who had a few goes at finding the perfect fit. And it's one of these things that's really hard early in your career to know what you want to do. And my view would be just try as many things as you can, as young as you can. And even people when they get to the 30s and 40s, they, they still might not be in the right career. So I found my feet going, I like brand, I like product, I like something tangible. So that's what led me to being here. So this is the story of what happens when you get the mix just right and how far it can take you. Year two, which is when I joined, we had enough people from markets like Germany and America saying, come to our market, we, we want to buy this. Whereas traditionally, you might take 10 years before you go to an international market. I'm David Marlson from the Evening Standard. Let's go for a drive. Turn right, and then turn left. So full disclosure, I was really late for this interview with James, like really late. My sat-nav, and yes, I do have Master Chief from Halo on it. In half a mile, turn right. Took me to the wrong place. Probably because I put the wrong postcode in, but let's just keep that to ourselves. A 45-minute journey out of London to Hewell's HQ in Tring took me an hour and a half. Tring, by the way, is beautiful. A market town with a nice country pub and about 11,000 people living there. Perhaps... Not where you'd expect to find a multinational food company with a run rate revenue of $100 million. But this is where Huel calls home. And we got there in the end. Destination reached. Well done out there. Can I ask a couple of questions about yourself, James, and how you got here? First of all, just describing where we are right now. So we're at Huel HQ, where is this? Why are we here? So we are in a, a village in Hertfordshire, which is about 45 minutes north of London, and a place called Tring. Hopefully we're helping to put Tring on, on the map. And we, it's probably our fourth office, maybe fifth office. So it started in our founder's garage, and then it moved for several offices in Aylesbury, which is where he he was living and still lives and then moved here to find a bigger office and now we're trying to work out where do we where do we head next in terms of office size what we have done actually spread that risk a little bit so we have an office in Birmingham which is our our tech team software engineering and we have an office in London as well with about 20 people and another one in New York with about 25 people 
Uh, I spoke to somebody else with the podcast who said that you haven't done anything in business until you've opened an office in New York. Was uh, that a, was that a special moment for you guys? Uh, we actually opened in LA first, um, just ah. just a just, you know, random decision at the time. And, <laughs> just random. Well, not random. I think it was based on based on team and things like that. And, and then we well the learning. No, not random. You learn stuff, don't you? So our learning was: hang on, the time zone between LA and UK is really hard. You get this one or two hour window end of the day. It's not wonderful. Whereas in New York, you get a much bigger crossover from sort of lunchtime onwards. So it makes much more sense to do that. Hence, so we actually moved from LA to New York and it's, it's worked out better since then. Much easier as well for our team to travel and the New York team to travel here. Obviously, during COVID, we haven't been able to do that. But something which we actually started doing just before COVID is any new joiner in New York, we said to fully integrate and kind of drink the Kool-Aid a little bit from a huge point of view, come to the UK, stay here for a week, meet people, get relationships, go for a drink, have, have fun, fully understand nutrition, all those things. And they love that and then haven't been able to do that. And as of next month, we're hoping the teams come back here from New York and probably have about 15 people actually. And and, and that will help them feel fully part of Huel going forward. But what are you doing here at Huel? Why did you want to join? What was a very small, risky, I guess, startup? What brought you here? What did you feel I can do something here. It's funny. So I got a little bit lucky in that my wife started a brand about 10 years ago. It's called The Fold and it dresses modern women, particularly in offices. And it was a kind of eye opener for me because when the first customers start coming in online, back then it was, it was less of a big, less of a normal thing to do. And you can see the search term they've typed in to come to the site. You can, you can see what they bought and why. And, and you see the one, the, the two way interaction and stuff. And I was just sort of, I was previously in a world where you sold your pallet of stock to a supermarket and you couldn't really control anything else. So I was always trying to find a way into direct consumer, ideally food, because I, li- I like food brands. And there weren't many that existed. And, the, and the, the stars aligned and I was contacted about Huel. And it's healthy, plant-based, good for the world, good for your body, and direct consumer. They're just sort of a dream in terms of ticking all those boxes. Had you tried Huel before you came here? Do you know, I just heard of the brand about a month prior to being contacted so i did try it then yes and and i i love the idea of it the fact you it was, it was powder powder product back then and you take two scoops you you mix it into water it's a combination of pea rice flax seeds oats sunflower and you have amazing nutrition and for someone who doesn't want to spend all their time eating bad food i don't know like a sandwich or something at lunchtime so i totally got it and it's it's a brilliant sweet spot for me it's why it's worked well dan just thinking about you know all the options anybody can have when there is when they're a child and they're growing up why did you go for business what pulled you in what made that attractive to you i'm gonna do this so i remember being a teenager and i was a bit geeky well, I'm medium geeky, but when my dad came home and you know, he worked a very sort of traditional, goes out to work in the morning, comes back in the evening, there was no working from home then. And and he worked in the city and he'd come back and he'd wear, I've got a visual, I've my very visual memory. And he's wearing his sort of, his Mac and his, and he's holding his traditional briefcase and he'd always have the evening standard in his other, other arm. And I was, I don't know, when I, I'd flick to the business section before I flicked to the sports section. <laughs> And I'd then go back to the sports section and then the front page bit sort of half interested in. And something about it, just the idea that people buy a product and they get excited by it. And they, particularly when you, when you wear or you consume a product and you're telling the world that that means something about your views in, on, on, on decision making. We've all got so many decisions we make. So brand just always got me. Business always got me. I, I love growth. I love, I love the revenue number going up. So 
that was that we was all have a revenue number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so that was my early bit, and I just kind of stayed stayed interested and tried out different things. I tried out uh, auditing between university and uh, sorry, school and university, and that that definitely wasn't for me. Tried out banking. I went into, into strategy consulting. Really enjoyed that. It's not necessarily a thing, a thing you do for your career, but it was a, an incredible stepping stone and very bright people and uh, teaches you to think in a different way. Sounds like you were finding the right place to slot yourself into. That must be a nice feeling when you go, yeah, this is it. I think so. Sometimes though, you, you, you don't know until you see it. Like I had this very vivid memory of working on a consulting project in for a, it was a consumer food, food and drink project. And goo came up in this project. And then I got to think, oh, wow, I wonder how that started. I read the story about the founder, Jim Arvadeek, and turned out he was an ex-consultant. So I wouldn't have thought about going into food, except for the fact that, hang on, I saw this sort of role model of someone who was doing what I was doing, read his story. And then I, then I just cold called him and I rang the office. Then he said, come and meet me for a, for a drink, met him for a drink, and suddenly I ended up working there a month later. So things happen, you, you go on instinct a bit. What I'm most interested in about Huel James is... Just the huge amount of growth you've had over the last few years. Does that though, does that come with a sort of risk of instability if you grow too fast? I think any business growing fast, yeah, there's, there's instability, there's growing pains. We, we've grown from nothing to over a hundred million in just over six years. So huge amount of changes there. The way I look at it is that in the first phase, you're very much a startup and it's okay for stuff to be all over the place. And then you get to the next phase, there's almost greater expectations from both people who work at Huel and customers on what the level of output and consistency you should have. So if we launch a new product today, people expect it to be perfect. Whereas back in the day, when we first start, there's a understanding that you're a startup and things go wrong. So yeah, we, we look at actually, there's, I do an induction with people and I say, in the first stage of a startup, you are disorganized chaos. And in the next phase of scale up, you are organized chaos. It's okay to be chaotic. It's fine, but you've got loads of plans and we've got three year strategies and we do a, a sprint every quarter and we do an all hands meeting every two weeks. All these things are really organized, but it's okay to be a bit chaotic still. Otherwise you're, you're not breaking things. You're not changing stuff. You're not being quick enough. And we, we talk about being the speedboat, not the oil tanker. And you can't do that if everything's perfect and wonderful and, and, and not, not any chaos at all. What's the next stage and when are you going to hit it? In, in my own little model, the, the third stage is, is corporate, which is all about efficiency. In some ways, you don't ever want to get there because once you get there, you, in, in effect, you are that oil tanker. There's a risk of missing things. So if you look at Blockbuster, Kodak, those sorts of companies, they just stayed very headstrong. This is what's going to happen. The world moved around them in terms of digital video and, and photography, and they just they were too slow to react. So you have to be, I want to just stay in that scale-up phase the whole time. So is chaos good then? To an extent, I think it depends on the kind of person you are when you join the business. A person that joins the business really early on, they're okay with chaos because they they know it's going to be a bit like that. If you were to do a profile psychometrically you probably say they have a higher level of propensity for risk like like I'm I'm that kind of person and someone in a more mature business they they probably want it to be more steady and they know what's happening each day they don't really want change in the same level so it's about finding the right people for the right moment in the business we have more people who have joined us recently who've got really wonderful experience and still enough level of understanding that not everything's going to be perfect here and they're happy with constant change and some people who've joined here haven't been right and that's our, our fault predominantly to make sure we find the right people because they maybe 
want a bit more continuity each day. So how do you find the right people though? Because I mean, I've done a lot of interviews with this podcast and one of the big issues has been actually finding staff in the first place. So if you've maybe got a smaller pool, how do you make sure you've got the right ones in there? So early on, we had to convince people to come and join here because we're an unknown brand and we're doing a modern way of eating food and things like that. And then what's happened more recently is that people come and find us. They want to work for a brand that stands for something. We've got a very positive purpose about doing something positive in the world about healthy eating, affordable food, plant-based eating, which is lower carbon footprint and, and more people who are vegan. And what we did really early on, actually, we have an in-house talent team, which is for recruitment. And it meant that we owned that end-to-end relationship of how do we find the right people. We also did things like a culture veto where two people are selecting the business who usually have nothing to do with the role being recruited. And even if the line manager or the senior person wants that person to join, if you've been asked to do a culture veto and you're not happy with that person, you don't think they'll fit, you can say, no, they're not coming and they don't come. We also do referral scheme here where you get you get paid if you find someone and whenever there's a new new job that gets launched you put on the system and, and people talk about it and they recommend to their friends and I know it sounds very obvious and companies do do that but we actually get people coming in regularly who have been referred from their friends because they you know it's like a, a net promoter score we've got a high net promoter score people want to work here and, and they want to recommend to their friends to come and work here too. So I suppose you're giving the staff a sense that they've got at least a little bit of control about how the, the company runs that. Yeah, we're quite modern in our approach. We're very transparent. I do an all hands meeting every two weeks. Unsurprisingly, it's called All Hooligans. And we share, we share information, we share here's what's going on, here's what's happening. People people feel very reassured by that. We do a, an AMA, Ask Me Anything. And every time there's probably five, maybe five to 10 questions from people, either live or in advance, they want to know something and that gets shared with everyone. And I think that that supportive, high ambition, transparent culture works well. We do a team survey every six months and at every stage we do it, we've gone to that. We're just a bigger business. There's, there's newer challenges and we pretty much most of the time find solutions. I'm sure there's still loads of things I think we could do better. But if I look back to a year ago and then two years ago and three years ago, every time our team say, wow, we have actually carried on making changes. We're putting more foundations. We're getting stronger as a business and we're, we're listening. So we're, my style is very open and I, I like to listen. Okay, let's take a break. But before we do, a quick reminder that the Evening Standard's running two free business events in May. The SME Expo will let you network with some of the most successful entrepreneurs in the country. And you can hear talks from people like previous guests of this podcast, Peter Flavel, the CEO of Coots, and Holly Tucker, the founder of Not on the High Street. The Water Cooler is about workplace well-being. You'll hear more than 50 speakers on issues including mental health, social inclusion, and environmental responsibility. Both are free. Both are being held across two days at the Olympia London on the 25th and 26th of May. Get tickets at smexpo.co.uk or thewatercoolerevent.co.uk. Now, to the adverts. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season, when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. You mentioned hooligans there. What's a hooligan, James? It's funny. Actually, it was a customer that came up with that name and, we, and then we adopted it. So someone who buys Huel, they called themselves a hooligan. And we thought, hang on, we are a modern brand where I don't think we own the brand. Customers own the brand. It's a very close connection very open, very sort of transient in two ways. So we said, well, well, we're hooligans too. So anyone who works for Huel or anyone who buys Huel is a hooligan. It's one group. So that came from a customer there. Now, something that I think is really interesting about Huel is how loyal your customers are. They almost act like ambassadors for you, yeah. don't they? How how did you do that? I get started in the early, in the early days where our founder, Julian, was very obsessed by giving a great customer service and... I think it's that word of being obsessed that makes it work. And what we've done is just make sure everyone who joins a business knows that. So for instance, we have, we have a wall. You probably saw it on the way in to the business today. It says how to be a hooligan. And the number one line on there is make customers happy. And we get obsessed by that. And that means the website. It means the packaging. It means the taste. It means the texture. It means the, the box that it arrives in. It means the customer service. All those things is about giving this incredible customer service. And if you do that, two things happen. Number one, you'll buy again obviously a big tick. And secondly, you might go and recommend Huel to a friend, say, go, go and buy Huel. So we focus so much for our, on our energy on make customers happy. And a lot of that's also about making our team happy. So they're in a good place. They understand the product. They're all trained in nutrition and they, they, they're constantly sharing suggestions on how we can be better as a business. And then you get happy hooligans in both sense of the word. I think a lot of people probably first came across the word Huel through advertising things across social media, tube adverts you've done really big marketing campaigns but are they as successful as that kind of word of mouth effect from a data point of view when we ask customers in our survey how how did you hear about huel always been the number one is someone recommended it to me so that's that's our thing back to make customers happy be obsessed by that and we'll, we'll do the right thing as you've grown I mean, you've talked about some of the difficulties there. How hard has it been to move into, you know, you, you've started doing international work as well now. How difficult has that been? I think it's easier when you're doing direct consumer. So almost all our sales are Huel.com. We are in some stores in the UK now, now like Sainsbury's and Tesco and co-op and places like that. We are very digital native, social media native. So for instance, if you if you're in the UK and you post an image of you with Huel, and your friend might be in the US and they look into it, they go, oh, that's interesting. Why can't I have that? So yeah, year two was suddenly Germany and US and we're in more markets now across Europe and Asia. And that that makes it easier in some ways, but then you probably have more growing pains because you're doing more quicker. Like there are plenty of businesses at six years old who are, uh, very few get to 100 million like we have and very few also have international presence at that stage, which means you're juggling more, the pace is faster, you're having to work a bit more creatively to get there. And we, I think what happened there is we probably put foundations into the business a bit earlier because of it. Otherwise, we would have fallen over. We've got great manufacturing partners, lots of warehouses around the world, the systems, the team we need to handle that, the, the way we onboard new members of the team, all those things. That the sophistication we now have is incredible versus a company a couple of years ago that was 
based in the UK and coming out of Julian's garage. It all sounds very successful. If I may say, it sounds very easy, James. Has it ever gone horribly wrong? I don't think we've had anything horribly wrong. We, we talk about the word roller coaster. So when you when you grow a business, it is a roller coaster. It's never a straight line. You go up and you go down. Probably the bit that's most memorable for me was my, my first few months. We, we just launched into the US and we under forecast how big it would be. And we ran out of stock. We had one factory, one warehouse, no contingency. And it takes time to get new ingredients in, new packaging in. And we have a subscription element to our business. That means when, when you go, right, I'm going to subscribe to this. I'm committing to it. I, I, I want to eat healthy, healthy food and make it convenient for my life. Oh, I can't buy it anymore because I, I, you said it's going to come next month on the same day and it's not here. And that's really hard. It probably took us about a year to recover in terms of some of those customers. Some, some have come back. Some might never come back to us again. And maybe it was that lesson that, that pushed us to just be so obsessed by the customer experience. We we track how much in stock we are on our, on our website. And I know most companies are happy with a, a lower percentage, but oh, we just have learned from that in the past. So we'll, we'll spend more money on stock, more bigger teams to just really make sure that product is incredible and that they can they can keep buying it. You talked about being sort of wanting to stay in that kind of level of, of semi-permanent chaos, I yeah. guess, is where you want to be. But Huel as a company has to continue to innovate, doesn't it? It has to bring in new customers. It has to bring in new flavors, for example. How do you do that without losing those loyal customers that you have? It's interesting. So we look at it, the, the number of people who have actually tried Huel in our main markets is absolutely tiny. So in, in a way, we don't need to do any more innovation. We just focus on the, the markets we're in. The number of people, people who have heard of us is still really low. The number of tried us is even lower. Like we might be aware of it, but the average person in general isn't aware of the brand. And just sheer, sheer recommendation and, and wider marketing and advertising will we'll keep having more people try us. Then there's obviously a, a whole phase about product itself for us we think of it as keep making improvements to the product so we used to be very mvp minimum viable product you'd launch something as fast as you possibly can and then you tweak it over time to find out what you can do to make it better and that's and that's that's a really great way people people do it in the startup world now we're a bit more we'll almost do some of that mvp testing internally and we also used to be in a place where pretty much every idea we had we'd launch and now well, I can think we've got about 30 ideas in our product funnel and the vast majority won't make it to market. That's a good thing. It means that our bar's probably got even higher and our learnings from other products over time have, have moved that forward. So I'm pretty confident that the, the veins in our business have innovation in there. We're really good at it. Customers want more and more from us, but the vast majority are still people who'd be very happy with our, our current products. How do you do that testing? Does it Is it all done in-house or do you have certain customers that you might send something to and go, tell us what, tell us what you think about that? Yeah, but both. So f- friends and families, we're up to about 230 people here now. So actually, if you, if you put new products in the kitchen upstairs, so we, we, we had uh, four new flavors recently of a new range and you put, you put them out there you can see which ones go first. Actually, our, our operations team use that as a way of guiding what, how much they should be using, um, creating for the demand based on you know, 220 people here. We've got an office in, in the US as well, in New York, and we've got friends and family. And then we do have some Hooligan customers who we're close to and we'll, we'll occasionally say, hey, try this, what do you think, and get that advice. The other thing I think that's really helpful when you're digitally native is we've almost got too much data. So I could go now and look at... Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, our, our own emails and live chats and watch out from customers. And just the commentary in there is incredible to know flavor, how you use it and the taste and the texture, all these things. And that guides a lot of what we do for either making products better or launching new products. 
And back in the day, I remember when I did, first started doing food, you, you, when we weren't doing online, we did a proper focus group and you'd pay people and you go to an agency and you have a two-way mirror, well, one-way mirror, sorry, and you'd, you'd watch five people for an hour and go, okay, fine. I, I don't need that. I can do it in five minutes online. So do you keep a really close eye on, on, on the at Huel tag yeah. on things like Twitter? <laughs> yes, I do. I'm, I'm a bit over the top about it. I, I will, uh, my, my favorite go-to is Twitter because that's often the one where you're more likely to complain. On the, on Instagram, it's more where you're, you're saying how wonderful the brand is and you don't necessarily learn as much from that. I'd rather focus on the negative side of things to learn from. And I'll look at it probably 15 minutes every day. And I know we've got big teams now and everyone wider insight, but that's my take on it. And I'll shoot off messages to people and poor poor old Scott who runs customer experience probably every couple of days like hey what about this why this why this and, and you know that that's that's maybe our high bar we have and the ambition we have and the dedication we, we have to being obsessive about customers do you still think then of Huel as being a small company in my head yes and mainly because of where we think we can go so I think we've got the potential to be a world leader in food and we are scratching the surface right now and we've got so far so quickly so we need to think big, we need to think really far into the distance and team and offices and product range and our financials and our investors and all these things. So yeah, I think we're I think we're still a baby. How did the pandemic affect you? I mean, obviously you're an online first company. Did you find that people being at home were coming to Huel more? Or did, you know, the, the situation, the, the, the mood across the country, had that changed? How did you get through it? Well, we talked earlier about a roller coaster. So COVID for us was the biggest roller coaster we've ever had. So I remember being on holiday and suddenly looking at our sales and they, they sort of doubled overnight. We'd never seen anything like it. That was in March 2020. And and we had to stop advertising. We, we, we were worried about getting ingredients in and our warehouses couldn't keep up. And then suddenly when you get to the summer of 2020, when it was real tough lockdown, pace of life had dropped significantly and everybody was at home and there wasn't much to do other than make your own sourdough and watch Netflix and suddenly everyone's cooking every meal and and, and not much not much they could do so that's actually when we, we were hindered by by COVID and we and net net we we've been down versus what, what we would have been without COVID but I'm, I'm not going to complain at all we're we, st- we still grew the business well and lots of new people finding us and what we also learned is that there's different drivers to Huel the number two top two drivers are convenient nutrition during times in covid there was less of a need for convenience food because people had such a slow pace of life now it's closer to being back to normal there's a benefit benefit of that but there's definitely a change in terms of people's views on health and wellness and understanding that the the impact on them their, their mental state and their body like i you know i say i look on twitter i see people saying god i feel so much better i i i feel full of energy my my, my hair feels good i i possibly feel better about my body shape and all those kind of things that people feel when they eat healthily. We see that even more now maybe than post-COVID because people are more aware of health and wellness in their life. Is that, just thinking about that, is there a, a place for fuel outside of food? Would you be getting into sort of fitness areas or I, I get when you already have some kind of merchandising with t-shirts and things. Do you, are you looking at those kinds of things? Yes, yeah, so we've done shakers and t-shirts and hoodies for a couple, couple of years and actually since since the early days and that keeps getting better so there's definitely something special about Huel where there's a mindset people have about how they think about themselves and the world around them and particularly actually in the in the plant-based area where Huel is vegan and what people I don't think people talk enough about the carbon footprint element of their consumer choices so for instance in transport 
electric cars and planes. For many years, we've known, wow, that's a big thing you can do to reduce your carbon footprint. Greenhouse gas emissions, are, uh, the 26% of greenhouse gas emissions are coming from agriculture. So arguably, we should be talking way more about food and the carbon footprint. The kind of customers we have are people who care about themselves and they care about the planet. So there's lots we could be doing in the future, but but our focus remains food in the short term. What's the future for Huel then? How does that look? So I feel like we're just getting started. I love our team, our brand, where we're heading, the products we sell. We will keep doing all the right things that we're doing now. We are in lots of markets around the world. Most of them we haven't spent much time on because it's hard to focus too, too, too widely. So you'll see us doing more geographically. You'll see us keep improving our product. You'll see us keep, keep launching new products and ultimately make customers happy. For all the latest business news, features and interviews, read the Evening Standard newspaper or go to standard.co.uk forward slash business. Shall we meet again next week? There are new episodes of this show every Monday morning, but you can drop in whenever you like. Hit your subscribe or follow button to make sure you don't miss out. This has been an invitation to meet. And as always, it's been a pleasure to meet you. Let's do it again. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season, when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.